0: Welcome to Predator Minute, the podcast that breaks down the 1987 action sci-fi classic Predator, one minute at a time. I'm John Zabriskie. And I'm Jeff Glover. And today we're talking Minute 40 of Predator. You might call Minute 40 the Sean Kemp of Minutes.
1: Yes. Now the Rain Man! The Rain Man!
0: has got it right up into the alley. Power!
1: Now we're talking. Yeah. Oh, man. I was a huge, I've talked about this before. I was a huge Sonics fan in the mid-90s. hmm Peyton, Kemp, Detlef Shrimp, Dave Ellis. Hi, I'm Dave Ellis. Like those years, those were the best, man. Dale Ellis? What what did I say? Dave? Hi, I'm Dave Ellis. Dave. Oh, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) The Jameson is kicking it already. Dale Ellis. Dale Jameson. (laughs) (laughs) Jameson Ellis?
0: Mm.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Sam Perkins, Big Smooth. Mm. Fuck yeah, Sam Perkins. Um, Dude, like he'd shoot those sleepy three-pointers. Yeah. That was the best.
0: Yeah, he didn't even jump. That was wonderful. I love that.
1: And he's a lefty. It's so much. He's like a little unicorn uh, of his time. You know? Yeah, there was no reason why he should have been as good as he was. Yeah. he looked like he was stoned all the time. Uh, he, for a while, he might. Well, the Sonics are no longer. I think he might hold the record for the most three pointers in a Sonics game. Oh, Sam Perkins, huh? I feel like I was. I feel like I saw that happen live. I could be completely wrong, but I think he sunk like eight three pointers. Oh. In a game, which nice, might, I, I should look that up. Well, Ray Allen eventually played for the Sonics for a few oh, years, so she, that might have he
0: might have uh, broken been it. eclipsed by him. Yeah, by yeah.
1: Jesus, <laughs> Jesus, <that's> right?
0: Jesus, <laughs> Jesus Shuttleworth. <laughs> uh, oh. But we missed so. We are talking off-air, but we missed our perfect opportunity on Minute 38 because Minute 38, uh, 38 was worn by a Seattle Seahawks fullback for many years named Mac Strong. Mac Strong. <laughs> Mack so I, I'm going to have to do like a lame makeup here and say uh, Number 40 was also worn in the NFL by a uh, defensive back for St. Louis and... <laughs> Uh, San Diego back in the 90s and his name was Cedric
1: Mack. Oh, (laughs) nice. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's
0: all those diehard St. Louis and
1: uh, San Diego There's like one guy that has a a Cedric (laughs) Mack jersey that just got really excited. (laughs) Uh, That's great. Oh, man. Um, Yeah, Eric, uh, shout out again to a friend of the show, Eric Deutsch, pointed that out on our Facebook group. You
0: set us up. It's all bullshit.
1: That was a that was a miss. But people around the country probably don't know who Max Strong is, but he is a beloved figure in uh, Seahawks uh, history. wasn't quite a superstar, but he was very good at his fullback position and was also a pretty upstanding member of the community doing lots of charitable work he was just a pretty great all-around guy
0: yeah is he uh, an analyst now for the seahawks oh uh, i feel like
1: he still hangs around and does
0: analyst things once as a kid he literally ran into a brick wall in junior high he was voted most likely to succeed nowadays he enjoys watching
1: spongebob with his son and his teammates say he'll laugh at anything,
0: but it's no laughing matter when he's headed for the end zone.
1: He's Mac Strong, fullback for the Seattle Seahawks. Maybe I don't okay. know. I'd have to look that up. But if he is now, I'm going to find him on Twitter and just start adding him and yelling <laughs> Mac. <laughs> Mac. 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 <laughs> Mac. <laughs> Mac. Mac. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh let's see some other notable from number 40s off the top of my head <clears throat> uh there's bartolo Colon, longtime overweight pitcher in uh <laughs> in baseball played for many teams notably the mets where i think he hit his first career home run mm. uh, a couple years ago and his teammates just made a huge deal of it and totally ran out of the—well, no, they hid, I think, in the clubhouse. So when he came back to the dugout, they're all gone, and then they came out and congratulated him later. That was— Oh, that's a, awesome. A fun little baseball moment, yeah. You don't see a lot of fat pitchers. No, oh. no. They just don't typically hang
1: around, but he's he's someone who's stuck around for Stick a really long, long time. Good hmm. for him. That reminds me, I don't, you can cut this from the show if you want, but I was watching a a college football game one time. It was with some buddies and we were up at a a cabin. Uh, It was having like a boys weekend or whatever. And it was this kind of smaller, like mid-tier college football game. One of the teams went to kick a field goal and the fattest kicker I've ever seen (laughs) ran out on the field. And one of my buddies goes, you guys get over here. It's a fat kicker. (laughs) And then every time it was time for them to kick, someone would yell, hey, the fat kicker's back! And we'd all run into the room to watch the fat kicker. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Don't know who he is or, or what team he played for, but shout out to any fat kickers out Kicking your weight. I love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. The
0: only other number 40 who I found uh, intriguing was Elroy Crazy Legs Hirsch.
1: Waterfield drops back to pass. It's that screen pass again to Hirsch. And Mr. Elroy Crazy Legs Hirsch is touchdown bound.
0: Oh, Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, From also uh, the St. Louis Rams football organization. But he's uh, from way back when, I think in the 50s. And he's now a pro football Hall of Famer. Um, But, yeah, he's one of these, I don't know. He was kind of like the Marshall Falk or the who's another like double threat from the backfield who, you know, catches and Who rushes a
1: lot? Oh, yeah! Like catches balls out of the backfield. Yeah, but like a ton of them. Like yeah, like uh, like who's the guy on the Patriots uh, that does that a lot? I don't Uh, know. Dion Lewis. Yeah, sure. We'll go Dion Lewis.
0: Yeah, he catches a <laughs> yeah. lot of balls out of the backfield. So he does. Okay. Uh, so he was kind of like a, a prototype many, many years ago, and yeah, he was someone I stumbled across
1: looking for number forty sports figures. And I think really if you cool have the yeah, I think if you have the nickname Crazy Legs, yeah, you've made it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's
0: funny because Crazy Legs, I, I saw it right away because Crazy Legs is also the nickname I give myself during our turkey bowl every year that I schedule. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Where we meet with family and friends to play some football in uh, Marymoor Park in Redmond. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy Legs Zabriskie. Crazy Legs Zabriskie. That's yeah. me. So mm, Well done. <laughs> yeah. I found my uh, my name mate here at number 40. But anyway.
1: Should we talk about Predator? <laughs> yeah, we should
0: talk about Predator. <laughs> Minute 40 of Predator opens with Dutch leaving Max Mac. side to check on Billy it ends with Billy and Dutch staring into the jungle mm. Dun, dun. Mm. Very exciting so
1: what are we seeing here first all right so first off we've got uh, Dutch and Max standing there we've got uh, Mac Mac. Mac. We got Anna with uh, Dylan, Dylan, um, Dylan, hanging out in the trees, and the camera just kind of gives us a shot of both of them, and then we get the we get Dutch stepping over the log here, and he's slowly making his way over towards Billy, who's just kind of standing, staring off into the jungle. Mm-hmm. And uh, before right Dutch approaches
0: Billy, we see Anna really subtly clutching a stick or a log somewhere, like. One of those sticks that's in between a stick and a log. Like yes. it could do some damage if she a s- a uh, chose it. <laughs> a, s- a slog. <laughs> a slog. She grabs a, a slog really slyly though. Like she doesn't want anybody to see that
1: she's grabbing this slog with her bound hands. Yeah. And you mentioned this was a, a little bit of, of foreshadowing. Hmm. Yeah. Foreshadowing because she doesn't hit dealing with it
0: she hits ponchito later on with it um essentially starting us off on uh, the horror thriller slasher aspect of this movie um and it's also foreshadowing
1: because ponchito later on is totally crushed by their own log trap that they set yes. for the predator that's right a lot of right. log a lot of log damage yeah yeah
0: yeah not, a, yeah. not everybody likes
1: a log like
0: <laughs> <laughs> did you ever see, uh, and, did you ever watch Ren and Stimpy back was, in its heyday? just going to ask you, <laughs> Yeah, is that a Ren and Stimpy <laughs> yes reference? Log, everyone wants a log. log. There, there, over your dog. For a snack, that's a good
1: one. There's a random drop that will. <laughs> yeah, uh, as was a family favorite for a while. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, and that's really like subtle. They just show her barely grabbing that there, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, kind of foreshadowing things to come. And then yeah. as uh, as Dutch steps across this log, we get some some of the score. You mentioned the score here is mm-hmm. uh, a little flashback to some score we heard earlier in the movie.
0: Yeah, this is exactly the this is the exact same track track and- <laughs> track Back. Uh, played while uh, the team is approaching Juan Valdez at uh, the lookouts Juan Valdez Juan Valdez Juan Valdez specifically when uh, Blaine and Mac are approaching quietly and Blaine reaches and the tripwire comes into focus via rack focus it's the exact same high strings followed by some low horns and- it's da na 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 yeah and it kind of yeah, evens out with the horns, but the same—it's the exact same track. Listen to these minutes back to back. I, I could can't help but notice it's the exact same score. And I'm I'm curious, why do you think they're using the same exact what musical notes here?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, it kind of builds a little suspense in this scene, right? Right. Because they're—I mean, really—they're walking out into this big clearing in the jungle. Yeah. Which feels dangerous. Yes right? Like they've been Mm -hmm. kind of under the cover of the trees and the canopy and as Arnold walks, as Dutch is walking out towards Billy, the camera pulls back, and you realize that they're standing in this very wide open, kind of exposed clearing. Mm-hmm. And so, I think the score just kind of punctuates the fact that we're supposed fact. to be fa- fact. <laughs> we're supposed to be feeling some tension here. Mm-hmm. Um, feel like we might be in a little bit of danger, just like when Blaine came up on the tripwire and was almost in a little bit of danger there.
0: Yeah, and
1: um, so it's really setting the scene, it, the whole you know this whole scene is a little unnerving
0: mm-hmm.
1: right i mean billy is just uh, staring steadfastly stoically out into the jungle as as dylan approaches him as dutch, dutch. approaches him yeah. Yeah, excuse me
0: i made a note in my notes that this is terrible strategy here because you're <laughs> <they're>, <laughs> right w- one of the main things that they talked about when they're leaving the destroyed gorilla camp was the fact that they could see all these other guerrilla forces closing another position, and if the whole point of taking this route is to stay out of enemy eyes, uh, they're doing terrible by going into the open. You would never do that if your strategy is to avoid the enemy. You stay yeah. away from clearings, you stay away from trails and streams and roads, you, you
1: stay covered. And I think Dutch realizes that here. That's why he's walking out there so slowly. Mm -hmm. He has his gun drawn. His bicep is like fully flexed. This is another very like double dragon (laughs) pose. Yeah. Another (laughs) hero shot right here for the biceps. Absolutely. Yeah. Another hero shot. Like, again, (laughs) could kind of be like a a trading card picture for this movie. Um, (laughs) Arnold's right gun. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, and so he's really just inching out there, and as he approaches Billy, he kind of turns his body towards where Billy is staring Mm -hmm. uh, very slowly, and they both kind of stare off into the jungle before they start their short conversation here. Do you want to do a little dramatic line reading of their short conversation here? Ooh, yeah, we should. Okay. Who's who? You want to be Arnold? Uh, sure, I'll be, I'll be Dutch. Okay, and I will be Billy. What is it? Billy. What the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> There's something in those trees. Nice. Scene. <laughs> and scene. That That's a nice short one. Yeah, a little short
0: yet dramatic line reading. I like your thump there. That was really good. <laughs> that, that was me
1: grabbing your collar. Oh, right yeah clearly uh <laughs> yeah then, he does he grabs his collar and he's like what the hell is wrong with you
0: yeah and billy has a, a good double act here where he has to snap out of it for a second and then is snapping out he has this total psycho look in his eyes at Dude, first he's looking does. at dutch like oh wow this is like maybe what the real life crazy sunny landon looks like <laughs> at times that's why they
1: had the <laughs> the bodyguard to protect him from other people or protect other people from him. Right. He but, does. His eyes are like wide open mm-hmm. and his mouth like doesn't move. And he just stares Arnold down. Right. When he, And he snaps his head real fast like he was almost in a daydream for a minute. Totally. Yeah. That's, that's, that's exactly
0: what he must be doing because he slowly comes out of the daydream like state and his eyes kind of. Take on the same shape and size because when he looks at Arnold, he has this like look, like he's eyeing Arnold all of a sudden. But then he relaxes and he looks back toward the jungle and gives his his line about there's something in those trees, like you know, maybe being watched is is what he's trying to tell Arnold here.
1: Yeah, and once again, we're hoping to see something out in those trees, aren't we? Yeah, and and we don't get it. Yeah, so once again we're left let let down. And I, I like your point last minute about
0: they right, they spend so much on uh, their technology on their special effects for the movie that if there was something to see they would make it more obvious. Which is uh, it's logical, but it's also kind of a letdown, making you realize oh like it's too bad they couldn't just sneak in a little shimmer just for. Mm-hmm. Those people for rewatchability, but maybe they weren't thinking that this is a movie that you're going to watch multiple times or a minute at a time for <laughs> right.
1: little shimmers and glimmers. And, you know, we're only, you know, in the scope of the movie, we're only 40 minutes in. So right. they're still really building the suspense. The only image of the Predator we've seen is his hand mm-hmm. um, in the Predator vision. So, you know, they're still building up to it for the for kind of the great reveal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I always really did like that. The Predator has this ability to kind of have this see-through camo. I thought it was—I've always thought it was such a cool, a cool part of his his character. So I can't wait till we can get to that and, and talk about that a little bit more.
0: Oh yeah, I'm, I remember as a kid seeing that, just thinking, "How did they do that? This is the craziest special effects. Like, was someone really invisible in the jungle looking like this? Because <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, in the in the 80s and early 90s, that's you're thinking, oh, what you're, what's on screen is what is happening, there's, right? If it's not obviously hand-drawn, then it must be real. So you're looking for those moments of hyper-realism where, where you just can't believe your eyes. And that was definitely a moment like that. Yeah,
1: absolutely. What was uh when you were – there's a little tangent here. Yeah. What was uh, when you were growing up? Like, was there a movie you watched that the special effects in that movie like blew you away the first time you saw it, like in oh, the 80s or 90s? That's a really good question. Do you have one in your mind right now that the one, the <laughs> gave one me a chance to think? Yeah, yeah. No, the one that always sticks in my mind, which is probably a pretty obvious one, but uh, it's just what it is. It was, it was uh, Terminator 2. Hasta la vista, baby. Because I, oh, Terminator, yeah, you know what I mean. Terminator mm-hmm. 2 was one of the first to really utilize CG well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also nostalgic for me in the fact that it was the first R rated movie I ever saw in a theater. So, yeah, when I saw that, I was sitting, I remember I was sitting in like the fourth row of the theater and it was packed. And right. I was with three, I was with two or three friends of mine and, and one of their dads. And, uh, I just was in awe of that movie. Like every time they did cg effects with the the t1000 my mind was blown yeah you know know, we had never seen anything like that before on screen like Yeah. yeah
0: um one that comes to mind from the 80s is willow it was a oh yeah yeah do you remember that one Oh, I, I fucking love Willow. It had just it had just Ooh, I'm all
1: a of... fanboy. <laughs> all right. Oh Willow. <laughs> the goat I know, lady. I know, I know about Mad Mardigan. I know about yeah. like, like Daikini babies. They yeah. say yeah, <laughs> I don't. I don't really know it. I just remember <laughs> all the cool magic
0: moments, like the two-headed oh, yeah. dragon and the the brownies, or the little people, right? The little mm-hmm. tiny miniature people, and the metamorphosing that was happening. All those kind of special effects, which right, George Lucas had a big hand in. As the, I think he was the executive
1: producer and oh, the man. creator of that universe. I'm still haunted by the the transforming into the pigs. So. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. yeah, transforming
0: uh, stuff. That stuff is. I don't. I don't care what movie it is. It could be that. It could be the Fly. Uh, but just mm. transforming overall is. If you really, if you think about it too much, it's really gross. And then if you
1: see it done really well, it's really gross. Yeah, like <laughs> uh, early early eighties werewolf movies. Um, there's two that jump out: The Howling. Mm-hmm. And American Werewolf in London both mm-hmm. have transformation scenes that were way ahead of their time, special effects wise. And like when you watch them, you, you, you hurt for that person. <laughs> right. That, it looks so painful. Yeah. <laughs>
0: and, and it always turns scary because mm-hmm. the person, especially if, right, they're the kind of transformer where they have no control once they're a werewolf, they basically hulk out then, right. They're like yelling at people to get away from them and you know, lock them up because they're going to be dangerous. That's, I remember that's, I can't remember what it was. Maybe it was the howling I'm thinking of where they're yelling at someone to run away because they're turning into the wolf. That's like, it's so scary. And then yeah. they're transforming this, this process that's just going to happen. It's inevitable. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Good, good, good special effect talk a little, a little bit ahead of our time. Look at us. We're not even there yet, but we're, we can't wait.
1: (laughs) Couldn't wait. It's those, those are the types of movies, though, that like really kind of sealed my movie love is like when you have that moment where you're just like amazed by what you're seeing on the screen. Yeah. Those things always, those things always just stick in your mind as, you know as like transformative moments in your Mm -hmm. own movie watching. Yeah. And then when you grow up, you really want to know how they did everything. And that's
0: kind of what we're doing here with this movie, which is great. But um, a little bit of the, maybe not so special effect magic, but speaking of Billy here, he's definitely representing uh, a big time TV trope and movie trope of this magical native. And sometimes a TV trope might call it a badass native, depending on the attitude and, uh, Billy fits both these tropes of someone who has maybe a more of a spiritual connection or more of a uh, extrasensory perception than other people are around him.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like you're right. You, you brought this up uh, or you put this down in your notes and I hadn't really thought about it before, but, but right. He is kind of playing that, that caricature of, of the native or whatnot that, mm-hmm. that has some, uh, extrasensory perception here, mm-hmm. or or sees sees more than the others around him. Yeah,
0: yeah, and has a has maybe more of a connection to to nature. Is paying extra special attention, and, and with that, I can't I can't help but just kind of question the dialogue between Mac and Dutch earlier, and Dutch right here, wondering what the hell is wrong with Billy. If he's with them as part of the team, shouldn't they be used to this kind of behavior now? And why why isn't he being more? I would say gentle with Billy here. Like, like what is it this time? Like, what is the,
1: what is your spidey sense telling you? Right. Well, maybe this is the most dramatic he's ever been. Mm. So that's what's kind of putting uh, Dutch on edge is he's never quite seen Billy this way before. Right. Um, that's the only thing I can think of. Cause he does keep on having these moments where he, you know, uh, pulls away from the group, stares off into the jungle. Um, mm-hmm. And People around him have to kind of snap him back to it um, or he has to snap, snap himself back in. Like we, you know, a couple minutes ago, he was standing there in the, the clearing of the of the camp and just staring up into the jungle and finally had to kind of snap out of it and run off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe this is the most dramatic he's ever been.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Because if he's being this dramatic, then the
1: rest of the team should
0: be on alert, should be on notice. Yeah. Yeah, keep being careful and taking extra special precautions. But if you look at the next minute, he does give one of those kind of it's it's really nothing. So it, it's it's it bums me out. His uh, Billy's choice here of not, I guess, keying more into telling what he's feeling to the team because clearly he's feeling something, and that something, like you're saying, could be fear could be yeah. uh, and, yeah, an extra special, extrasensory moment or experience. And I don't, uh, It's curious to me why he's not telling the rest of the team that, but we can save that for 41 because <laughs> there's, there's a whole trope hole we can go down there too. Right. I, I wrote down some other examples of uh, this trope of the badass or magical native, just from anything from uh, cartoons to live action movies. Uh, did any of those examples stand out to you that I wrote down?
1: Uh, let's see the ones that there's uh, several on here that I'm not real familiar with. Sure. Uh, yeah. But, um, some of the ones that I recognized was, uh, like, uh, you said there was a character in dances with wolves, mm-hmm. which is a movie I like. <laughs> you said, uh, the character from power Rangers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was reading about that. I was kind of diving
0: down there because it showed up on the TV tropes examples. And then it said uh, something like he, he, didn't come to be, this magical native character until season three or something like that. So right, it's like right. they had this plan for him all along. Okay.
1: <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, you had, um, there's a character in last of the Mohicans. Mm-hmm. I like Thunderhawk from street fighter. Yeah.
0: There's like the the, <laughs> the, the, the triple threat there. you have the Thunderhawk or T-Hawk from street fighter. You have Nightwolf from mortal Kombat, and you have chief thunder <laughs> from killer instinct. There's, there's a, uh, there's a theme here in the names. Right. Yeah. I'm seeing names like James Proudstar, Wind in His Hair, uh, Chakotay, Thunderhawk, Vulcan Raven, Chief <laughs> <laughs> Chief Scalpum from Sunset
1: Riders. Oh it's like, no! Yikes! Yeah, we're we're, we're spilling over into uh, racist caricatures. Yes, yes, yeah. that's yeah. what happens with yeah. this kind of thing. Yeah, but a lot of a lot of these I. I recognize the TV show, but I or the the movie, but I don't remember the character, to be honest. Yeah. Although I like how you have a reference to Children of the Corn too. <laughs> yeah. Frank Redbear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, surprisingly I've never seen that one. Yeah. I might have seen that one many, many years ago. Many moons um, ago. Many moons all right, all right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh no, I'd right. say the last one that really stood out to me as an example was the character Brave Star uh from the show Brave Star. <laughs> um that was kind of like a space cowboy man with uh Native American ties uh named Brave Star and then uh if you, I don't know if you remember but <laughs> he and his sidekick who is a horse at one point do the predator handshake in their show where it's the no way too big bulging biceps just <laughs> wrestling basically in the air <laughs> like what in the world is happening to, to his 80s cartoons i believe that came out in 87 as well so they're able to slide that
1: reference in for all the kids wow. who are <laughs> familiar with that one that's pretty amazing yeah, yeah. <laughs> good good list though pretty good thanks did you notice uh, after their conversation he gives uh, dutch that really intense Stare, but then as soon as he turns back towards the jungle, did you notice? But both characters kind of relax a little bit, yeah. And, and then that's when he kind of says, There's something in those trees, yeah, and, something in those trees, yeah. And it's almost like kind of a resignation, like Ooh. him kind of saying, I'm, I finally, I'm, I'm done. Wondering if there's something in those trees, but I'm just now, I just now know there's, there's something in those trees and it's not going to end well for us. Wow. I sense that in his voice.
0: Wow. That's a, that's a good catch. Maybe. Yeah. He, or this early, he's such a badass mystical figure
1: that he just, he just knows their fate already. Like they've already rolled snake eyes and yeah, they just don't know it. I just get the sense that he, uh, is not giving up, but kind of realizing that, uh, what he's been fearing all along is, is actually true, and he's finally admitted it to himself. Yeah, because
0: this isn't his first go-around with sensing the Predator. We saw him sense the Predator uh, right when he was the last one to leave the gorilla camp. Right. He he did the whole pause as he, he was about to jog out of the camp, and he looks back, and then the back. camera hit back. back then as the camera pans up to where the predator will ultimately be in that scene Billy runs out so maybe he's been sensing this all along kind of like um Gandalf in Fellowship mm. of the Ring he he always knows that Gollum is tailing them even though Gollum doesn't show up for a whole another movie Gandalf in the Mines of Moria is speaking to Frodo telling him that all this time Gollum has been tailing them and then you catch a little glimpse of Gollum There's something Gollum. Gollum. He's been following us for three days. Um, but again, mm-hmm. Gollum doesn't really come to play as a major figure until the second movie, right? But it's yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things where it's yeah, we're being watched. I have this sense about it. Um, I wrote down some other examples of this. Uh, yeah. If, you, if if any of uh, these came to mind, or if any came to mind other than the ones I had listed, feel free to spill away when right you've seen this in another movie or. Um, show or something. Sure, yeah. What else you got? Um the one that came to mind without me having to look at the T V tropes was when Luke and R2 are on Dagobah and uh they're kind of mess around and Luke's talking to R2 and then he's trying to describe to R2 like the feeling. He says something like, feels like be like one and then Luke <laughs> points the blaster at him. He says, like we're being watched. So that's the one that always pops in my head Mm. Um, And people's explanation for that one is that Luke is Force-sensitive, clearly. So maybe he could sense that using the Force. Mm, Yeah. Um, I also wrote down Muldoon. He's the the ranger, like the park ranger in Jurassic Park. Who? Oh, yeah. 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 He he knows that the raptor is out there watching him. And then he puts the raptor in his target or in his iron, not his iron sights, in his scope. And then as soon as he does that, the other raptor is right next to him. Basically, and there's a gorilla. Great line, yeah. Yeah, she clever. takes him down. Oh, I love that. I love that clever girl line. And oh, that's a whole, classic. Yeah, I, and then I think what really stands out just anytime you uh, someone use their spidey sense in the spider-man movies that's it's always that same Mm. sense of danger um, before danger strikes or when danger's around sort of something bad's about to shake down
1: i uh i'm sorry i'm i'm racking my brain i can't think of one up on the spot (laughs) you can cut you can cut me out right (laughs) (laughs)
0: Well, have you ever had that feeling in your own life? Have you ever had that feeling like like you're being watched? Like, what does that feel like? Or do you have an example where you just knew you were being
1: watched? Do you ever get the sense like, this has happened to me like when I'm teaching sometimes, you know when, like, you're teaching, you're up in front of a group doing a presentation or something, mm-hmm. and things are going really well, and and you and you just feel like the audience is or whoever's listening to you is is engaged with what you're saying, and and like there's a there's somewhat of a give and take there, but then there's also times when you feel like what you're doing is not working. <laughs> yes, and and all of a sudden, whenever that happens to me, I sometimes get this weird out of body experience. Where like I feel like I'm watching myself talk or watching myself teaching, and I'm like, oh, you're tanking right now. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I imagine it's like the same feeling that like a stand-up comedian gets when they're bombing. You right, know? right. <laughs> uh, that's a little bit out of a box answer, but it's the first thing that came to my mind because it's something that happens to me sometimes, and it's when I get that feeling is when I know that. Uh, my lesson is not good or like my explanation is not good or uh, I've just lost my students. Um, And whenever I'm trying to teach them is when I get that slight out-of-body experience where I feel like I'm being watched and it's myself that's watching me. (laughs) Yeah, totally. We have that profession, that rare profession where we can Right,
0: catch ourselves uh, not performing well, and it's in front of a large group, and
1: <laughs> we all know what's happening. We all know it's. <laughs> what's... That's the thing. We don't get to make mistake, mistakes privately. <laughs> no, no, it's it's made pretty publicly.
0: Um, no. Thankfully, since I teach the same thing five times a day, <laughs> I, I'm able to
1: fix it pretty pretty well for the second and third and fourth and fifth times yeah. around. Don't you feel like your first period gets like the worst lesson? And oh all... yeah. It's maybe not the, I was going to say the last period gets the best, but it's probably not the last. It's probably more like the third or fourth when you've really kind of hit your stride, you still have your energy. It's definitely like the third is when I have my best energy
0: and I know exactly what I'm doing because the fourth time I'm kind of wiped from doing it and the fifth
1: time I'm just relieved to be finishing this fifth time. (laughs) Dude, five five of the same thing in a day, that's that's pretty intense. I don't think I've ever had that in my teaching career. I've always had two different classes.
0: No, this is my first year doing that. And uh, oh, wow. it's nice because you only have the one thing to prep for, but it's tiring and you have to make sure it's engaging enough for yourself so that you're not feeling bored by the second or third time. So you're
1: like, is this entertaining <sighs> enough for me too, to yeah. keep my own um, energy and interest up? Man, people don't realize like... Uh, like people talk about like, I got to give a presentation at work today. And then <laughs> I, I give five presentations at work every day. Every day. <laughs> Uh, Life of a teacher. Life of yeah. a teacher. Um, sorry, I went off on a little tangent again. Oh right? no,
0: not at all. It's it's very much in the realm of being watched, and then right. <laughs> Could you yeah. imagine the predators watching you, just going, "Oh my god, this guy's this guy's screwed." Like, what was yeah. that about? Like, that was way too much think pair sharing. Come on, Mister Glover.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought of a. Uh, okay, I thought of a, a movie, a horror movie, of course. Where oh, what? Wait, I know. Weird. The Evil Dead franchise. Groovy. I mm. love the evil dead movies and uh in particular um the very first evil dead is a very low budget um, horror movie with some fantastic special effects but the conceit in that movie is essentially that the woods are haunted by spirits Ooh. and the
0: spirits
1: can, yeah and the spirits can possess you essentially turn you into what's called a deadite um and uh but before all the carnage begins they the characters have a sense that they're being watched kind of by the woods kind of by the cabin itself and they do a lot of camera work with some sound design to kind of reinforce that so so there you go i i've I've found a a movie a movie connection awesome (laughs) that's great I love the Evil Dead movies. (laughs) I could talk about those all day. (laughs) We'll have to have someone on from Evil Dead Minute. Oh, there we Is there an Evil Dead Minute? I don't know. Mm.
0: Yeah. (laughs) There probably is. probably is. I mean, there's a a better chance that there's an Evil Dead Minute than not. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Let's just just bank on that. So we'll have uh, Jimmy and uh, Jeffrey on sometime from able to admit it.
1: <laughs> All right, so we've kind of reached the end of the minute. This this minute is really sort of, really, it's one sequence. It's, it's Dutch walking out into the clearing and then having their conversation, and they stare off into the woods, and that kind of brings things to a close. Mm-hmm. Uh, but did you have any other things to add about, uh, about this minute before we get to recommends? Um, the script difference really overall is the same
0: scene in the original script, the 1985 script. Uh, the big difference is that when they're switching between the team's viewpoint and the Predator's viewpoint, you're more, uh, I can't say inside the head of the Predator, but you're definitely showing that perspective more and reading more of the body language of the Predator in uh, in that scene in the script uh, because you're following along with the Predator vision. And the Mm -hmm. way the script explains it is that As Billy is sensing exactly where the predator is, the predator has to stop moving and really hold position so that Billy doesn't focus in on him or focus in on it um, and give its position away and right take aim and start firing. So that's something that we don't see in the movie at all because I think it's really hard for the movie to show that because you have the invisibility, but that is not going to be shown until much later. Not much later. It's not going to be shown until a couple minutes later. Yeah. Um, So it's it's kind of... Neat having that in the script where you're switching sides all of a sudden. You're thinking, oh, should I be on the Predator's side? Should I want the Predator to stay hidden and not found out by the team? Interesting. Yeah. Do you have anything for the, the script? Uh,
1: no, I just think that's a that's a cool idea. I, it's interesting when the when we find moments in the movie where the the film deviates from the script and vice versa. Mm-hmm. And in, in a lot of cases, I feel like they made the right decision when we watched the movie. But um, there's some kind of cool ideas left over in the script that you've brought up yeah
0: in the movie i could see it maybe playing a little bit too much for laughs where billy looks over and all of a sudden the predator stops like the little invisible cloak just stops moving right billy looks away a little bit and the predator starts moving again
1: (laughs) (laughs) it's like a tom and jerry cartoon. right yeah it's like red light Right, red
0: light, green light. John McTiernan in his commentaries mentioning how Arnold walking out with his bicep hero shot is looking like cartoon or a comic book character, Sergeant Rock, which uh, we see Shane Black reading the comic uh, in the credits at the end. And that
1: is that a real
0: thing? It is a real comic book for many, many, many years. And huh. uh, Arnold, the connection to Arnold was that for the longest time, Arnold was tied to star in a film adaptation of Sergeant Rock. And oh. It was going to be produced by Joel Silver, uh, possibly written by either Stephen D'Souza or John Milius. Um, and hmm. it just has been stuck in production hell for many, many years. And the latest was, I think, 2010. Silver announced the setting change from World War II to another battle in the near future, whatever hmm. that means. So right. there's a, a strong tie-in on the set of people thinking that they were going to be working on Sergeant Rock. Uh, including Arnold and possibly Shane Black and Joel Silver, but that never came to fruition.
1: Never happened, huh? No, never happened. Well, all those Sergeant Rock fans will just have to <laughs> keep on writing their Sergeant Rock fan fiction. That's right. Their Arnold <laughs> slash fiction. Yeah. yeah. Well, does that bring us
0: to uh, Weekly Recommends? That brings us to the Weekly Recommends. So this is where we tell listeners uh, anything interesting we've been watching or listening to or reading. Uh, wearing on our feet (laughs) anything else baking Um, in our pizza yeah how do we how do we bake our pizza
1: yeah what what about you jeff what do you have going on for recommends well i uh tweeted about this movie uh a little while back and i I think i'm back Matt. i think i tweeted out that i was um Planning on rewatching it, and I did uh, finally rewatch it last week um, while my wife was out of town. And uh, that is the great uh, double feature packaged up as one big long film, uh, directed by uh, Quentin Tarantino oh, yeah. and Robert Rodriguez. Which is, and it's the whole package is called Grindhouse, and it features two full-length films: Planet Terror and Death Proof. And one of my favorite parts about watching this is all the the fake. Uh, exploitation movie trailers yes they have in between including uh, machete i took a vow of peace and now you want me to help you kill all these men yes bro i mean padre see what i can do
0: machete
1: which uh, eventually was turned into an actual feature film by robert rodriguez (laughs) and a sequel (laughs) <laughs> and a sequel, Machete Kills. <laughs> yeah. I love Grindhouse. It's a masterpiece. I'm compelled to rewatch it every year or two. Um, and so this was, I don't know how many times I've watched it, but this was another rewatch for me. And every single time I do, I'm just reminded how much I love it. And I know it's not a film for everybody. It, it's a movie made for a pretty specific audience, but it's such a special project. Um, it's made by two of my favorite directors. And just on this last rewatch what I was really struck by. I always take away something new when I watch it. And this time I was really struck by the practical special effects Mm. in, in Planet Terror. They are, it's really phenomenal from the makeup work of the the infected, kind of zombie-esque people, uh, to just them driving down the road and r- running their truck into zombies and having them explode all over the front of the grill of their <laughs> truck. Um, it's all—it's. I know there's there's some CG there too, of course, but a lot of it is practical. Mm-hmm. A lot of it is just top-notch work. Probably some of the best practical effects we've seen in the last two decades. So anyway, I know it's uh, for those people that that love it. It's not as, you know it's a movie they already seen, but if you're perhaps a younger viewer or you've uh, just never watched Grindhouse, I highly recommend it. I also highly recommend watching the whole thing. You can buy Planet Terror and Death Proof separately, but if you can get your hands on the full double feature with the trailers I feel like that's the best way to experience that movie so that's nice. my recommend
0: yeah and shout out to Cornetto Minute we had them on a few episodes ago yeah uh, Nick and Scott for April Fool's Day they put out an episode uh, breaking down the don't trailer don't uh, yes. directed by Edgar Wright yes because they're doing the Cornetto trilogy directed by Edgar Wright
1: oh that's great yeah so that was that was, that was, a, that was a good listen don't Yeah, Don't. Those trailers are so good because they're totally a riff on certain subgenres of horror or exploitation from the 70s and 80s. And there was like a slew of movies made like between 1975 and 85 that had don't in the title. It was like, don't go in the house, like don't go outside. Um, So that trailer was totally like a goof on that uh, kind of. Uh, that run of movies that occurred. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's pretty great. I'll have to look up that that podcast. That sounds fun.
0: I'd say my uh, my easy recommend, my like softball recommend would be go see Avengers Endgame because it's mm. a really good capper to all the Marvel Cinematic Universe franchise movies. I think the 22 movies, or that's the 22nd movies, but if you've been watching ever since Iron Man and you've been waiting for that build-up, 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 it's right it's here and it's so far the number two worldwide all-time grossing movie behind avatar that's wild man that's yeah wild. it's wild it's so wild and and uh, is and i liked it as uh the fan of the movies and <laughs> uh that said I, w- I would probably only watch the one time in the theater just because the movie itself is three hours long and yeah you're, yeah by the third hour, I was definitely feeling well, like the weight of the entire uh, cinematic universe—not just the movie itself, but all the
1: storylines that had to close and all the characters that had to see off. So, what do you what do you think they're gonna do now? Like, they're not gonna stop making Marvel movies. Oh no, they will not stop making Marvel movies. I mean, will they just continue making like individual movies for the characters, or like, do you think they're gonna start with? I, I'm not as uh, an expert on the Marvel universe. I, there's a lot that I haven't seen, so. Uh, excuse my ignorance right now. <laughs> I've heard a lot of people say, because I haven't seen Endgame, but I, I heard a lot of people say that it closes a lot of storylines and ends ends a lot of the the movie series. So I, I'm just curious what you think they're going to do next or what can they do next? Uh, what I've
0: heard a lot of people say as their own educated guesses is that, yeah, they'll keep doing the individual standalone movies, but at the same time, they'll use newer characters or younger characters to build a new Avengers team
1: spin off yeah
0: well no not even a spin off they'll just they'll just build a new Avengers and so then you'll have more movies with Avengers in the title and those people have changed because in the comic series itself The Avengers are always changing, right? Mm. Their their members, and there'd be you know this new group of five, or all of a sudden like a a huge crossover event where you have forty or fifty different characters. Much like Infinity War and Endgame, you'd have just dozens of characters who are considered Avengers. They're just it's a wide ranging group, so I think that membership is just going to shift to focus on a different team of Avengers as time goes on. I don't don't think they'll
1: stop by any means. All right, well, only time. tell
0: yeah time will tell yeah. and they're making lots of money
1: long. so <laughs> easy recommend do you have a uh, a different recommend as well
0: yeah yeah uh, I, I was watching on netflix this viking show it's not called vikings it's called Norsemen. Hmm. I, I think it has a different name in norwegian i want to say <laughs> i don't know if it's norwegian or swedish or finnish but um it's meant to be the viking times of about a thousand a.d and what i like about it is it's it's meant to evoke some game of thrones feelings i'm not i never watched game of thrones so i don't know anything about it but i can tell that is what it's trying to pull from but at the same time it uses a lot of dry humor like a like this it has this great great sense of uh modernism to it where people are questioning all the time like why are we doing this and they're making allusions to modern like things that modern people do
1: the helmet is a basic head cover right yeah yeah but when you add some other material like horns it becomes something else it's no longer just a helmet it is
0: something bigger it tells a story and that is what fashion is all about um, hmm. like like being more open thinkers or doing things for the art uh, versus just like the pillaging <laughs> so it's, it's 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 a fun show to kind of have on in the background and then I made the mistake of doing that and then eventually I did the thing where I couldn't help but just like focus on the show itself because yeah. it was starting to tell a, a fun story that was <clears throat> um, more investing for the viewer after a while. Kind of so, sucked you in. Yeah, it d- definitely sucks you in effectively, but I really like the, the humor that runs throughout. I, I can't do a, a super serious show really yeah. that often because it just sucks a lot of me I need to have that give back of, of some humor <laughs> now and again and i just yeah it's sensibilities is, is what makes it i don't know a fun watch so that's just called vikings no no it's called norsemen oh norsemen i'm oh, sorry I, th- I think there is a show called vikings but i think okay, that's more yeah, of the i think
1: that's much more of like the serious grimdark kind of show yeah I think what I take away from that recommend is that you've never watched Game of Thrones.
0: No, but I've definitely um, seen it blow up on the social media the last month or so as they're winding down their, um, winding down their episodes and winding down the whole series, and it's it's really easy to glean like, oh, here's what's happening. Like they're not, (laughs) people are not putting up spoiler walls. It's like, oh, this just happened. Can you believe it? So I can't help but see. What's going on and,
1: and follow yeah. up, like the big plot points. Yeah, if you're a watcher, you have to watch it right away so you don't get it spoiled. Cause... Are you a, a
0: Game of Thrones head?
1: Oh yes, I am. I am. Right. I've seen all the episodes twice, Ooh. except for this newest season. So yeah, I'm excited for the final episode. A lot of people have been complaining about this and that, and to me that feels a little bit like people complaining about the new Star Wars movies. Like yeah, it's just you know let the writers do their thing and. Enjoy the ride and don't take it so seriously. Yeah, it's really good and really fun. So I saw people signing a petition online to remake <laughs> season eight. Yeah. Oh, it's Those ridiculous. People are entitled children like? Yeah. Shut, shut the hell up! Like, it's a show. The the people who make the show will make it how they want. Either like it or don't. Like you don't yeah. get it. To- remade you baby yeah <laughs> God. no it's the
0: same thing like last jedi went through and yeah yeah other things that i'm a fan of that i just want to say like just if you don't like it just you can consume any manner of other media just right right leave it alone for the people who who want it like don't don't just troll and bash on it and hate on it just move on life's too short for that just find something you do enjoy or unless right. unless that's what you enjoy is trolling and bashing <laughs>
1: i think unfortunately that is true i think yeah, that,
0: yeah. <laughs> i know enough middle schoolers to know uh, that's <laughs> that's
1: true for a lot of people all right anyway, anyway. Let's, let's do it. Yeah, I think that's it for recommends. So, Jeff, where can people find you in the internets? Oh, I'm on the Twitter. Mm. You can find me at capital K, Carl, underscore, capital H, Hungus, 314. My name is College been Expert. Jeff Glover. I'm on Twitter. Follow me there. And uh, if you've
0: ever felt that sense that someone's watching you, like right now, as you <laughs> drive your car, or you're at work, or... Um, whenever else you're listening to this podcast, then uh, write into the show PredatorMinute at com or drop us a line at the Predator Minute listeners palapa on Facebook or let us know on Twitter at Predator Minute. I mean, it's been a while since I did this, but I want to give a shout out uh, to our musical contributors. We have Chaos Ware, who granted us permission to use his electric guitar cover of the Predator theme for our intro and outro music and also Smooth McGroove who provides... Uh, uh, the video game vocals the acapella covers of video game songs that'll play in the background here and again so thanks smooth and chaos smooth the groove great name great name great name uh, and we are part of a larger network of podcasts the movies by minutes podcasts uh, There are currently 127 movies by minute podcasts who the people who kick this whole movement off are the star wars minute hosts alex robinson and pete the retailer uh, they just finished off or they're just finishing off right now the force awakens minute um, and they're about to go into hiatus for next six or so months until they start the next star wars minute by minute which would be rogue one i think that's all of our covers and so for Predator minute i'm john zabriskie and i'm jeff clever and until next time stick around
1: what guy got Billy so spooked?
0: <laughs>